0: If you would, remain seated, but go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll stand in just a moment to read from God's Word in Acts in chapter number 6. It's hard to believe our last sermon in the book of Acts was over a month ago. I believe that would indicate that uh, it's been a little bit of a busy stretch here at uh, Southwest. And uh, having had the missions conference and ascending service for the Pembertons, preparation for the Lord's Supper... And celebrating the Lord's resurrection, it's been busy. But that's a good busy. I like that. It's all right. It's all right. Evidence of God's work, no doubt, in our midst uh, here as well. And uh, we are not the first busy church. You notice that? We're not the first busy church. The church here in the book of Acts was certainly uh, very busy and involved and. And a lot was going on, and thus the work that God was doing in their midst, it led to church growth, in fact, rapid church growth. And that rapid church growth, it led to opposition from without. We've seen the opposition from the leaders that were there, the Jewish leaders. They were not about to sit idly by and just allow this new movement to catch and gain steam and... ...and uh, have a place there in Jerusalem. It it disturbed status quo. And they did not want to allow this new faith to rock the boat, so to speak... ...because it affected their lives individually. You know, Satan is always against the work of the gospel. Always. Against its forward movement. That's certainly what was taking place in the early church's life. They not only had problems without because of the rapid growth... ...but as we saw last time we were together that they experienced problems from within, within the church. As the church grew, certain ones of the church felt like they were being neglected, the Grecian women in particular, the widows rather, were uh, feeling neglected because the Hebrew women were being shown, um, they felt like preferential treatment in the form of receiving the food and, and um, provision, whereas some of the Greek women, the widows were not. And so when these problems arose within the church, here's what I see the church continue to do. They just continued to be centered on the gospel ministry. Whether it was the opposition from without or the opposition from even within, the problems from within, they said, you know, we really just need to do one thing, and that's what God told us to do. Uh, And that would be preaching of the gospel. And thus they organized to meet the needs of the church from within, and then they prayed to God in heaven above that God might continue to give them boldness in the days of adversity so that they could continue preaching and proclaiming the gospel, and that they certainly did. Someone said it this way, the struggle within the church called for a strategy. The strategy called for a structure an organization, and that structure called for spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders, men that would be godly men and help to take care of the needs of the church. One of those spiritual men... ...was a man named Stephen. We read about him in Acts chapter 6. Would you please stand together here tonight in Acts chapter number 6... ...and we'll read about the faith of a man named Stephen. A man full of faith, as the Bible puts it. So we might say it this way. A faithful man. A faithful man. So we'll look at that here tonight. So Acts chapter 6... And let's begin reading in verse number three. This is where they're given the solution to the problem of where some were feeling neglected. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. There's the man that we're going to look at tonight. Look at this now. It says, A man full of what? faith a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and then it names others that were there and, and so then it says in verse number six whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed they laid their hands on them and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith now our text begins in verse number eight through the rest of the chapter. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom... And the Spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. That would be the Sanhedrin that we've already read of on two different occasions. Verse 13 says, and set up false witnesses. So they went, when they couldn't beat him in debate, they said, well, let's find something against him. And so they set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place, in reference to the temple, against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. And shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him. Look, I'm sorry, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. How about that? As it had been the face of an angel, it was had a certain glow about it, his face did. And uh, just one verse out of chapter 7, verse 7... Or sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. Then said, the high priest, are these things so? And then Stephen, um, well, he just rears back and preaches for the next 53 verses. The longest message in the book of Acts. I thought about covering it tonight too. But we'll come back another time to that lengthy message. It is very... Important. We're really at a pivotal point. Stephen was not looking to be the first martyr. He wasn't setting out to do that. He was just being a faithful man. And I want to challenge you to do the same here tonight. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message. In his inaugural speech on January the 20th, 1953, President Dwight D. Eisenhower said this, History does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or to the timid. We'll run that by you one more time. History does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or the timid. It does not long, did you catch the key word there? It does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or timid. In other words, freedom's not free. And as President Ronald Reagan said, we're really just one generation away from losing our freedom. And thus every generation is responsible for that generation of protecting freedom. So Dwight D. Eisenhower's words, having come out of the time of World War II, and that great generation that fought for our freedom and, and uh, by God's grace won that, those the victories, but history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or timid. In other words, it demands strength and fortitude and boldness and courage to protect freedom if we sit idly by and we allow liberals and others that come in and they begin to rob us of our freedom really it's it's not so much that their position is is so strong or or that it is with such great validity but if good men do nothing evil prevails So history does not long entrust the care of freedom to the weak or to the timid. We need men of faith and courage in our generation. Could the same be true and applied to our faith in Christ? History, we might say it this way, Baptist history does not long entrust the care of the faith to the weak or to the timid. History does not long entrust the care of the faith to the weak or the timid. If we are weak or timid in our proclamation of the faith, it won't be long until there's a generation that does not have the faith. Okay, uh, maybe those illustrations are not quite registering with you just yet. That's okay. But think of it maybe this way. If a if a running back has been given a ball, have I got anybody else with me now? If a running back has been given a ball and yet he's weak and timid and scared and once once the big guys, the big linebackers start coming his way, if he's weak and timid, he says, here. <laughs> he does not long have the ball, right? Being weak and timid. I'm telling you, I, in fact, just yesterday I had occasion to visit Brother Don Fox and as uh, the College of Career had their hayride, we were just uh, down there for a little while and having a part of that. And, and uh, of course, he was real good friends with Daryl Royal. And, and uh, so we were looking through some old pictures of Brother Don Fox when he played football and uh, down near Altus and uh, in Hollis, Oklahoma. And I, I'm telling you, football back then, right, in the 50s and 60s, not, not that it's not tough now, but back then there was a certain element of toughness. That was there. Those guys were rugged. And now, you wouldn't make it long as a running back if you were timid and scared. Right? Well, God has entrusted to to uh, something much more important than a leather ball. But rather words, the eternal word of God, wrapped in leather, yes. But much more important to pass on to the next generation. But it will not long be entrusted to the weak and timid they will fumble the faith. But those who are strong like Stephen, I, I'm, just, I'm inspired by Stephen. I hope the message gets across tonight as, as, as God's already worked it in my heart and how he used it in, in particular ways in my own life even, the, even this past week that we cannot afford nor does the truth deserve a weak or a timid approach to conveying that truth. This truth merits, because it is God's truth, it merits on our part a strong and bold. I'm not talking about a an arrogant or an offensive approach, but I'm talking about just an open, bold approach to say, this is what God says, I can't say any less. Yeah. And I'm sure that Theophilus, the very first reader of the book of, of Acts, that he would have been inspired by the example of of Stephen because Stephen or Stephanus as it is there in Greek, meaning crown, he was not one of the 12. He was... It seems to be that he was just another ordinary church member, if I could say it that way. But he was just another man that was there in the church. But God used him in a great way. Hey, listen, you don't have to be in spiritual leadership for God to use you in a great way. What I mean by that is you don't have to have a title or a position to be greatly used of God. Here's a man that just was full of faith. God used him greatly. God used him I believe in a very major, major way that may not uh, present itself at first, and it's really going to make more sense as we get into chapter 7. But but this was a man of faith who was, it seems like, he was fearless. He was fearless as he stood before the Sanhedrin, that supreme court of the day. And he, and he gave such a such a bold defense, and basically the gist of his message was this. Your fathers have been have had a history of being disobedient and not listening to God's word. So it's, I'm not su- basically saying this. I'm not surprised that you haven't listened either. You're standing before the Supreme Court saying that. You've had a history and your fathers have been disobedient to God's word. And so I'm not surprised that you are too. Huh. They start throwing stones. This man stood there Fearless. How could he be so fearless? We're going to see that here tonight. Men of faith are a blessing to their church family. Men of faith are a blessing to their church family. And women of faith, too. Just dealing with Stephen here. But men and women of faith, and I'll say this, teenagers of faith and children of faith are a blessing to the church family. Most certainly. Stephen was a blessing to his church He was, uh, what we saw uh, last time we were together, a Hellenist. A Hellenist was a Jew. Yes, he was Jewish in his nationality, but he was heavily influenced by Greek culture. But you know, with God, it really doesn't matter what your, your cultural background is. He has chosen to use anybody, regardless of where you're from. The most important aspect of Stephen's life was his faith. His faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed in a resurrected Christ. And whether or not he saw him, we don't know if he was in that group of 500. we, we would I would be inclined to think not. But he, he knew that Jesus was resurrected because of the testimony of others and, and people that he'd seen and what he'd experienced. And he knew the word of God. And And so the most important thing, aspect of his life was his faith. And you see in verse number 8 that Stephen... Full of faith. The same thing was said in verse number 5. A man full of faith. And I realize it also says, and of the Holy Ghost and of power. And we could deal with all those things. But I really want to focus on the aspect or the truth that he was a man full of faith. This terminology, full of, means means this. It means to be, of course, filled or to the top. Right? To the top. Asked the boys today, what did you learn? The two little ones. And they both, I believe, learned about... Uh, Being fishers of men and how the boat was full of fishes. Means there's a bunch of them in there. Bunch of fish. So here the expression is used, full of faith. So it'd be a bunch of faith. Okay? Bunch of faith. Uh, It means this to be rich or abounding. So Stephen was a man who was rich and abounding in faith. He was a man who was thoroughly endowed with faith someone else defined it this way to be full of means to be thoroughly permeated with it he i like that he was thoroughly permeated with faith faith was was a part of his very fiber permeated his life his faith did if we say that somebody is is like full of anger what are we saying about that individual well it it could be taken a couple different ways Full of anger could be this way. Anger is controlling him. He's full of anger. He's not in his right mind. Anger is controlling him. Or he's characterized by anger. You with me? He's characterized by anger. Full of anger. Or full of love. That person is full of love. They're characterized by love. Or they're controlled by love. The same would be true of of, uh, full of the Spirit. That means that they are controlled by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit. So when we take that idea and we apply it to what it says about Stephen, he was a man who was full of faith. What that means is this, he's characterized by faith. He's he's governed by the faith. He's controlled by what faith says to do, faith in Christ. We uh, use the suffix, the suffix, um, f u l. Just dropping one L, basically. It means the same thing, to be full of or characterized by. And thus we have beautiful. Beautiful. That means characterized by beauty. Okay? Uh, Careful. Characterized by care and being cautious. Careful or thoughtful. So here's a man who was faithful. Faithful. Now we use that as an adjective and as a faithful man there. And and what that means is, is that... He's a man that is full of faith. Faith is governing what he does. And as such, he was a blessing. Well, Stephen was a blessing, of course, to the widows that were there as he would deliver food that they would need. And, and faith prompted him to show love to these, the widows of the church, and cared for them. and. And he was a blessing on behalf of his church to those widows. He was a blessing, no doubt, to his church. He was a blessing to the spiritual leaders because they were able to, to give attention to the Word and to prayer and to be uh, able to, to give uh, attention to the ministry of the Word. As they said, it's not right that we would leave the ministry of the Word to serve tables. So let's look for faithful men, men that are full of the Spirit, to carry out the work so that people are not neglected. And so this man was a blessing to his pastor. He was a blessing to the, to the pastoral staff and those that were there and ministering and laboring. This man, Stephen, was a blessing in, in the way that he served. He was a blessing, and it was a blessing in the way that he preached and a blessing in the way that God used him. I believe that Southwest Baptist Church is blessed with men of faith. Men of faith. Men, men of faith from many generations right here. I'm thankful to God for the men of faith who are here, men who pray, men who work bus routes, men who teach Sunday school, men who visit, men who uh, go to jail not because of their deeds but because of their outreach men who raise families, men who do devotions, men who are here tonight bringing their family when they could be at home, men who are trying to teach maybe a four-year-old how to sit quietly during a church service right now. That's a good thing. That's a man of faith, a man who reads his Bible, a man who tries to witness at work at the workplace or in his neighborhood, a man who passes out a track when he's uh, there at the restaurant or or to a friend, a a man who makes some phone calls, A, a man who just cares about people. That's a man of faith. I thank God for the men of faith right here at Southwest Baptist Church and their ladies of faith, the ladies of faith who work in all the other capacities as well, but it'd be a long message if I went through everybody, okay? I just thank God for the people of faith, the people of faith, people who are characterized by their faith. Their faith in Christ is central to what they do. It drives what they do. It prompts them to serve. God can use people of faith. God used People of faith greatly used them. Verse 7 and 8 says that the word multiplied in Jerusalem as a result of this man of faith serving and doing his part. Hey, here's what I find in Stephen. He's not concerned about who gets the recognition. Other than this, he wanted to make sure the Lord Jesus Christ got the glory that it was due to him. That's what glory he was living for. He wasn't wanting to be in the limelight. He, wasn't, he was not wanting to be out front. He was just simply wanting to serve the God any way that he most possibly could. And that freed up the pastors to do what they were to do. And he did his part. And, but in addition to that, you see that great wonders were done by, by Stephen. And miracles were done by him among the people. I'm telling you, God greatly used this man just like he used the apostles. He was pointing men to Christ. He was a godly man. A man full of faith. A man full of faith. Verse 9 through 16, the story begins to change. Men of faith face opposition from people even of their own culture and background. Men of faith face opposition from the people of their own culture and background. If we could reconstruct this or recreate this scenario, Stephen was driven by his faith in the resurrection to proclaim that message everywhere he could. Stephen, being of a Jewish background, would attend the synagogue, but but also this, he has that Greek influence, and thus, when the Greek women, the Greek widows, rather, were ...were concerned that they were not receiving the attention that the Hebrew women were... ...then they sought out seven men of honest report. And these seven men, they have Greek names like Stephanus, That's a Greek name. And so he has that Greek influence. So here's, here's what I see happening in verse number 9. Stephen, because of his faith in Christ, because of his belief... ...and the way that he valued the Lord Jesus Christ, his passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and his practice, the fact that he had prayed for boldness and prayed for God's word to spread, then not only did he have faith in the resurrection and a passion for Christ and a prayer life that would sustain his spiritual life and, and that he saturated, no doubt, saturated himself in the word. If, when you read the account of Stephen and his testimony before, his fearless testimony before this uh, the Sanhedrin, then you're going to see a man who's well-versed in the Old Testament. He knows Old Testament history. He's a man of a book. He's a, he's a man of Faith in the Word, and so he's he's saturated his mind with the with the Word of God, so that when the time came to stand up and to give testimony, he was fully prepared. And the Spirit of God gave him utterance to do just that, no doubt. But but here's a man who had all these things. He had faith in Christ and His resurrection. He had a love for the Lord Jesus Christ that prompted him to do what he did. He had a prayer life and a spiritual life that that was driving him as well. And thus, this man Stephen could not sit idly by. And do nothing. And as a result, he went to the synagogue. Why did he go to the synagogue? I submit to you, he went there to preach Christ and Him crucified and to emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ to others that were of His cultural background. You see, He's preaching, as verse number nine points out, He's preaching to other Jews who have a Greek background just like Him. He's in the synagogue of the libertines. The Libertines, uh, the word there means freedmen. It it has to do with uh, Jewish slaves who had been freed. Either they directly had been freed or their ancestors had been freed. And thus, as a slave, maybe they were taken off to different parts and, and dispersed. The dispersion of the Jews under under some of the persecution that came there in Jerusalem. And and so the Jews had to disperse. And so we have here in the record, would you look at verse number 9 again? We have those uh, of Cyrene, which would have been northern Africa. And then we have the Alexandrians, that would be the city of Alexandria and Egypt. And so, again, northern Africa. And, and then you have uh, Cilicia, which would have been the southeast corner of Asia Minor, right around Tarsus, where Paul was from. Some say maybe even paul was was in this synagogue. We have no idea whether he was or not, but we do know that when Stephen was stoned and paul being a, being there and they laid his their coats at his feet, then we know that that Paul obviously was influenced, and that 's another message i 'm not going there yet. But there, with the with the Cilicia in Southeast Asia Minor, and then Asia, as it says, that's not like the Orient, and as we think of Asia, but it would be Asia Minor, like Turkey in that area, Ephesus, and 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 this area there of Asia Minor. So we have Jews. Watch this now, Jews who have been spread out because of of the their life situations. Who now remember where we are. We're in Jerusalem and they've been able to come back to Jerusalem for, for this, uh, this time and being able to relocate in Jerusalem. And that was a very big deal to them. It was a very big deal to them because they were Jews. And to live in Jerusalem and to be able to be around the temple and to be in the synagogue, And every week to hear Moses taught and the finer points of Old Testament theology to, to be disseminated there and for them to be able to pass on to the next generation what faith had been given to them in the Old Testament and passing that on about Messiah coming and all these things that were very important to them, the law and the customs and the oral tradition. I'm talking about as a Jew, it would have been important to them to pass that on and respect for all these things. And then you have a fellow Jew named Stephen who attends the synagogue that day and he stands up in the midst of that synagogue because it would be open to others to, to take, the, take the podium as we would know it or take the pulpit and be able to, to speak and to give their take on this or that. And so Stephen would have been given that liberty and he stood that day in enemy territory in many ways because these men did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. They knew of Jesus and what had taken place. But he stands this day among men who did not believe in the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, nor his resurrection perhaps, although rumors were circulating around about all that. We have the situation where this man stood on that day and he did one thing, no doubt. He preached Jesus, him crucified, risen, and coming again. He preached him. He emphasized the Lord Jesus Christ. He lifted up who Jesus was, even right there among his own peers and his own countrymen. And they disputed with him. The Bible says they disputed with him. Did you see that there in, in verse uh, number, number 9, disputing with Stephen? They rose up, these men did, and They were, but they were not able to resist his word. Evidently, he had a quite convincing argument. Hmm. You might think, well, aren't these Jews... Wouldn't these Greek-oriented Jews, I mean, these Hellenistic Jews, wouldn't they be less nationalistic than what some of the other Jews would be? You might be inclined to think that way. But really, they were highly nationalistic. They had just been able to move back into Jerusalem. That was a big deal to them. And so now you hear this preacher, this man named Stephen, who is standing up, and from your perspective, he's preaching against everything you believe. He's preaching against the value of the temple, emphasizing the Lord Jesus Christ and that it's not, it's not to be such a centralized religion, but, it, but that the gospel is to go everywhere and, and Christ is everything and, and so important and that Jesus said that this temple would be destroyed. You have a man who's now preaching against what, from your perspective, he's de-emphasizing the law. He's de-emphasizing Moses. He's de-emphasizing the temple. He's de-emphasizing, in your perspective, he's de-emphasizing Yahweh, Jehovah God. Because he's preaching Jesus. They loved the law. They loved the temple. They loved Moses. They loved the customs. They loved their leaders. And, and they had been able to move back into Jerusalem. And so they were very nationalistic. They were Zionist in, in a major way. And they wanted the good of Jerusalem. And here's a man that was threatening that from their perspective. Simply because he was sharing his faith in Christ. He seemed to threaten everything they held You see, just as many other Jews, watch this now, they had elevated the temple above even devotion to God. Devotion or dedication to the temple. They were very devout to the temple. Yes, they would say, well, of course we're devoted to God. But you see their response here. And they were much more devoted to the temple than what they were really devoted to God himself. They saw him as a threat. In reality, Stephen was not a threat, but rather he was a help. He was not trying to belittle Moses. He was not trying to belittle God or minimize the importance of God. In fact, he was lifting it up. He was not trying to say that the law has no value, but he's trying to show the true value of the law. He's not trying to say the temple is unimportant He's just trying to show the real importance of the temple That it points to the God of the temple But they misunderstood all that And saw him more as a threat And even those of his own background began to turn against him You know when you begin to identify with Christ Those of your own background may begin to turn against you Your own family your own culture some of your friends some of your co-workers perhaps even other church members as you begin to get serious about Christ you see here's the here's the problem here's the contention there was a difference in their beliefs there was a difference in their values there was a difference in their practices And as a result, it turned them against him. And when they could not refute his position, then they began to falsely accuse him. And they called in some, and the Bible says that they suborned, which means they instigated others, maybe even bribed them. That could be what the word means. But they persuaded some to, to say things false about Stephen. And thus you see, in verse number 12, they stirred up the people. This is the first time the people actually turn against them. And, of course, now the, the Hellenistic Jews are turning against them. The Jewish leaders have already turned against them. So it's like the tide of persecution is getting stronger and stronger against this new, this new church. As, as everybody in their culture seems to be turning against them. And we've gone and we see now the intensification the of the persecution. As it goes from a verbal warning to the flogging of Peter and John. To now they're going to pick up stones and stone Stephen to the point of death, the persecution is mounting all because they 're standing true to christ yep. that 's what 's taking place and Stephen stands firm and fearlessly stands to proclaim the message that he will proclaim, but some said he blasphemes God and he 's against the law and he 's against this holy place. you see they they took even jesus' words they you see how what they did in verse number uh, in verse, uh, let me see, I'm sorry, I'm overlooking it here. The one about Jesus, you see where it is. Yeah, verse 14, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. Well, Jesus said this, destroyed this, this body, destroyed this temple and I'll rise it up in three days. I'll raise it up in three days. He wasn't saying that about the physical temple, but he was saying that about his body. And that if you destroy this body by way of the crucifixion, that it will rise again. That was what his intent was, but they spun it. Not only that, but then they took his words that he prophesied that this temple would be destroyed and that it was in AD 70 as the Romans came in and destroyed the physical literal temple that was there. Jesus was prophesying that, not saying that he and his group would do that, but that it would be destroyed. They took that and spun it and said, His people, the people of Jesus, they're going to destroy this temple. We've got to stop this. And thus they falsely accused this man, Stephen. And he stood there before that Sanhedrin. And as these false accusations were made against him, the Bible says that they steadfastly watched him. They were looking steadfastly on him and saw his face, and it had been the face of an angel. It's very interesting. Because his face is, is glowing. You know, if you've read your Old Testament, you might have heard of another man's face who was glowing. Who had been with God. Who had had revelation from God. Who had been in touch with God so much so that his face was glowing and had to veil his face. His name was Moses. Moses. So if they would really look at this from the right perspective, they'd say something like this. You know, he's not against Moses. Actually, he looks just like him. As his face was all aglow. But they turned against him as he began to call them to account. And we'll come to that, God willing, in the the next week. But here I just want you to see. Here's a man who fearlessly stood knowing what it was going to cost him he took a fearless stand for the faith why because he was a man full of faith his his faithfulness made him fearless and thus he gave a fearless testimony stephen was able to give that fearless testimony simply because he was a man who was full of faith. So he was fearless because he was faithful, fearless because he was faith full. When you get so filled with faith, fear cannot stay by, cannot abide. When a man is so full of Faith. What what do you mean by that? When he's so convinced that he's right, not because of who he is, but because of what his position is, when he's so convinced that Jesus is the Christ and he rose from the dead, that faith in Christ was greater than whatever fear could have come his way. Do you think he maybe didn't entertain the possibility of fear? I'm most certainly certain that he would have. He knew that walking into that Jewish synagogue that day would have turned people potentially against him. But he was a man who was full of faith rather than full of fear and fearful. And as a result of that, he stood boldly to proclaim what the faith was because of who his faith was in. Faith drives out fear. Faith drives out fear. That's why Stephen on this day was able to stand and boldly proclaim Christ, even in the midst of those who he knew would oppose him. You and I live in a culture that does not look at true biblical Christianity favorably. If you take a stand for Christ, you'll face opposition. No doubt. But can I tell you today that the faith is worth taking a bold stand? Instead of weakness and timidity, we need strength and boldness. How do you get that? How did Stephen get it? He was in that group that prayed for boldness. He was in that group of believers who had saturated their lives with the truth. And because he was so saturated with the truth, he was ready to go forth and boldly proclaim who God was, even if his own countrymen turned against him. Because he was a man who was faithful. Are you a person, are you a man who is faithful? What's driving your life? What would your life look like if it was faithful? And I'm not here to accuse anybody and say that there's, there's not that element here, but there most certainly is. But, but look, we are passing on something that is vital. And, and this generation needs a church full of faithful people to pass on the faith it's vital that that this generation receives it. And it is now not the responsibility of the Stevens and the Peters and the Pauls, but it is now our responsibility to stand and boldly proclaim in the marketplace, in the church house, yes, of course, and in the teaching rooms of of this this facility, but not just there, but also in your home, in your living room, and around the kitchen table, and driving in the minivan, and, and driving in the truck or the car. Hey, listen, we need to have some faithful men who will boldly stand and say the Lord Jesus Christ is very very important to the faith the life of this family and I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is right and in all of his ways right and thus I want to be bold in my proclamation in my home in my work in my school in my neighborhood into the whole whole world why because we have the faith that was once delivered to the saints let us not sit idly by but let us stand and boldly proclaim that which has been delivered to us and thus be faithful people fear brings defeat faith brings victory and when you get totally convinced about what you're supposed to do that drives you to do it brother uh, Decker and Miss Decker are here tonight and having preached around you fallen, I'm glad that they're able to be with us here this evening. I've got to tell you that when that time came to go ahead and talk to Brother Decker, I'm talking about that talk. <laughs> Asking his firstborn's hand in marriage, his girl. I've known him a long time, and he's known me, but I got to tell you I was nervous, okay, fearful, <laughs> okay, weak, timid, <laughs> wasn't that bad, but I'll never forget today, and I know that he will not either, but um we were on a fishing trip, men's fishing trip at uh, barren River lake and We'd walked way down the hill and was fishing there, and we're on our way back up. I'd known his daughter now since the second grade. Our eyes met across the room. and Okay, maybe not exactly that dramatic, but still. And we'd been together all the way through high school in the sense of friends and, you know, just friends. And then all the way through college. So I, I knew at this point in time in my life, from I'm trying to pray and read God's word and see her character and just evidence that God was leading this way, I was totally convinced that she was the one that I'm supposed to marry. But that did not change how fearful it can be to talk to dad. So we were there fishing and um, we were on our way back up, climbing that hill, caught him at a time when he was out of breath. And I thought, now's the perfect time. The answer will either be yes or no at this point. Of course, he said, what took you so long? That was was his reply. What took you so long? Well, then, that wasn't enough. I had to go ahead and ask her. That's how these things work, guys. Take notes. Take notes. Come on. I was so worked up about that. We went out to eat at the place where we first went out to eat, and I was so nervous. I couldn't hardly eat. She had to know something was up, because that's not normal. (laughs) I'd preached that morning and preached out of uh, Numbers 13, how that the children of Israel, they saw the land that they were supposed to take, and and yet they were fearful to go in and to take the (laughs) land. (laughs) I'm telling you, God was working me over, friend. (laughs) I was so scared out of my mind. But then, whatever time it was, I got down on one knee and asked her, having had permission, got to have permission. Having had permission, I asked her to be my wife, and she said yes. And we've been married 15 years this June. It's a blessing. I'm so glad I didn't let fear keep me from a whole lifetime of joy and blessings and contentment. What else did you want me to say, Angie? I can't remember. But you know what helped me? I knew... Well, number one, I knew who God was. And I'd seen His work. And then number two, I I saw what God wanted me to do. And when you know who God is, and you see what He wants you to do then you can move forward full of faith. Will you have points where you're frightened and timid? I'm sure there will be, but but the faith overrides that because you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. Are you fearful whenever you knock on somebody's door? Yes. Are you fearful when you go and talk to maybe a family member? Yes. Yes. Are you fearful maybe when you bring up the subject of of the faith at the workplace? I'm sure you would be, but, but wait a minute. Do you know who God is? And have you seen him at work in your life? And do you currently have exactly what that person needs? Then just go ahead. I know that there's giants in the land and you feel like you're a grasshopper in their sight, but just go ahead and bring it up by faith. Be a person who's full of faith that says it doesn't matter how fearful the situation may seem. There's blessings there. Somebody said about about, uh, birds, if they could just just understand that wherever there's a scarecrow, are you with me, out there in a field somewhere or or, uh, uh, in a fruit tree patch or whatever, uh, out there in the garden and such when they see a scarecrow, if they could just understand that those scarecrows are actually doing this. They're marking where the fruit is. If they will look at it and say, that's not something to be feared. That's a GPS system saying, here's the food, come in, all you can eat buffet. It's like a sign. You see, we allow the things that that cause us fear to keep us back from blessing. But really, if we look at it from the right perspective, whatever it is, if that's what God wants you to do, listen, don't see it as a scarecrow. See it as a sign saying, hey, come in, and there's great blessings to be enjoyed here, and and there's a a lot to do and a lot to enjoy and all the blessings that are here. Hey, look, if God is calling you to teach a class and you're fearful to do that, don't look at it like, well, I don't think I can do that. No, just go full of faith knowing that that's what God wants want you to do. Or if he wants you to marry someone, you got to know that one for sure. Or if he wants you to be in full-time ministry. Or if he wants you to talk to a relative. Or if he wants you to confront a situation. Or if he wants you to take a bold stand maybe at your high school and stand down and be different because you love the Lord and you believe that he wants you to even dress and act a certain way and that's going to make you different than everybody else in your cultural background. Then listen, just move forward full of faith, not timid, but just look at it as a scarecrow that says, come, because here's really where the blessings are I and mean, God begins to work in ways that you can't even begin to enumerate and to see how God works when you move by faith. But if you're stifled by fear, you'll never see it. Somebody might say, well, it didn't turn out too good for Stephen because the stones started to fly in. Well, that's true. But his eyes were not set on this earth. In fact, the Bible says that He steadfastly looked into heaven and He saw Jesus standing at the right hand. Of the Father on high. He saw the Son of Man standing there. And he said, I see the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, it wasn't like something that you hear about on TBN. This was the real deal. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, and God greatly used his life. You say, Well, wait a minute. That God didn't really use his life. I mean that. He stood up, nobody got saved out of that. Nobody's life was changed out of that. He just was dead after that. No, wait a minute. There was clothes that was down at a man's feet, whose name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who had been been a Jew all of his life, but he heard the testimony. He heard the preaching. And then along along the road to Damascus, God himself is going to knock him off his horse and say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Persecuting who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you touch his own, you touch him. And God used that. Don't you know that many times Paul, as we know him now, would remember how Stephen stood fearlessly and he stood boldly to proclaim to that Sanhedrin, the faith in the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, and, and that spurred Paul on, no doubt, who himself faced fearful situations and God greatly used him. And in many ways tonight we could say this, we are here tonight in the western hemisphere enjoying faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because a man named Stephen was more full of faith than he was of fear. And as a result, a man named Paul took the gospel towards the west and it made it all the way right here, my friend. Don't tell me, don't tell me that your life can't make a difference if you'll just focus and get your eyes off of yourself and what would benefit you and get your eyes on who he is and proclaim him boldly and move your life by belief in him and valuing who he is and let it even affect the way that you practice your Christianity to be a person of prayer and a person of the word that will make you a man or woman, a boy or girl or teenager of faith. That'll make a difference. Mm. A faith... Full man had an impact on generations. What could faithful people do? Have an impact. Father tonight, we thank you in Jesus' name for the life and testimony of this man named Stephen. I don't know all that was going in his mind as he went through that to that synagogue that day, but perhaps he walked in there knowing it could be his last day, and yet he still went. By no means do we face such fearful circumstances as far as having our lives threatened by the gospel. It could be that we would face that, but God, we face just maybe what we would consider to be fearful situations of just simply sharing our faith with others or living our faith out in real ways to the point that others might look at us in a different way. God, please help us to be full of faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.